uh, take some time this morning to look at a story about two sisters, Mary and Martha. We find this story in Luke chapter 10, uh, beginning with verse 38. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to open them up to the 10th chapter of the book of Luke. Uh, We'll be uh, hanging around verse 38 to 42 this morning in uh, Luke chapter 10. Uh, You can, if you're using your uh, device to to read scripture, maybe you're using the YouVersion uh, app, you can find uh, all those notes and sermon uh, scripture references there under the events tab. If you've downloaded the Wallula Christian Church app, I'd encourage everybody to do that if you haven't. If you've uh, downloaded that, then you can find the sermon notes there as well. Uh, Luke chapter 10, we're going to look at verses 38 to 42 this morning, the story of Mary and Martha, two sisters, and their encounter with Jesus. Uh, much of the time when Jesus really wanted to make a point, he would uh, he'd tell a story. And on one occasion, uh, a scholar, a teacher of the law, came to Jesus, and he was asking him some questions, trying to, to sort of trip Jesus up, perhaps. Maybe he was just investigating and, and trying to figure out where exactly this Jesus guy was coming from. What was he really about? And so he asked Jesus a question. Uh, He said, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, you're a Bible scholar, for crying out loud. You're a a scholar of the law. You've studied this for your entire life. What do do the scriptures say? What does the law say? And this this, uh, teacher of the law said, well, uh, it, it says to love God with all you are and to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, well, that sums it up. That's true, and uh, you, you've got it. And the teacher of the law may be investigating further, maybe not satisfied with the answer that Jesus had given him, maybe sort of reflecting on his own life and how he had lived that out. He asked Jesus a second question, well then, it, it, who's my neighbor? And Jesus tells this story about a, a guy who was heading to a town, and he was mugged, he was attacked, he was beaten up, and he was robbed. And he was left on the side of the road uh, for dead. And along came a priest, a a guy, if anybody should stop for somebody who's been beaten up, right, who's in need of help, it it ought to be a priest. And, And so this Jewish priest sees this Jewish man lying on the side of the road, and he's in a hurry. He's got to be somewhere. He's worried about being found unclean for the his service in the temple or whatever it is. And so he crosses to the other side of the road, and he just keeps going. Along comes another teacher uh, of the law, a Levite, and he sees the same man lying on the side of the road, and he too crosses to the other side and just keeps going. It wasn't until a Samaritan man, a a guy who had uh, lived uh, his whole life hearing about how much Jewish people hated him, came along and found that Jewish man lying on the side of the road, beaten and robbed. It wasn't until that Samaritan man stopped, came along, that he stopped, helped that man to the next town, nursed his wound, paid for his stay in the inn uh, until he was able to fully recuperate and and get back on his feet. And It wasn't until that Samaritan happened by that uh, the man who had been robbed had any hope. And Jesus asked the crowd who had gathered by that time listening to him teach and listening to the story, who's the neighbor in this story? And everyone in the crowd, from the youngest child to that teacher of the law, agreed, well, it was only the Samaritan. 
who lived like a neighbor in the story. It wasn't long after Jesus told that story that he found himself in need of a neighbor. You have to understand that uh, Jesus, his, his ministry lasted about three years, and for that three years, he, he traveled everywhere by foot, right? He traveled with uh, a group of people, I, I suppose ranging anywhere uh, from uh, 12 to 150 or so, maybe more than that, maybe fewer than that at times. But he traveled with this group of, of friends from town to town, from place to place, teaching and preaching and healing and ministering to folks and meeting needs wherever wherever he found them, wherever he went. And consequently, he, he really had no place to call home. Now, we know that, that people said this is Jesus from Nazareth, but we rarely in the Gospels find him in his hometown of Nazareth. We rarely see him any place that he might say, well, this is my home base. This is where I stay. We, we see him often in the home of somebody else. And it wasn't long after telling that story about the, the good Samaritan, right, that he finds himself in need of a neighbor himself because he's been teaching, he's been preaching, he's been serving in, in different towns, and he happens into this village called Bethany. And he's looking for a place to stay. It shouldn't surprise us, I suppose, after hearing Jesus' story about the religious leaders and how they treated that guy left for dead on the side of the road, that it wasn't any of them that offered Jesus shelter in their home. But it was two sisters who opened their home up to him. As Mary and Martha, Martha opened her home, Scripture says, to Jesus. How We don't know how many times exactly Jesus stayed in Mary and Martha's home. We know it was more than one occasion. We know that they grew into the entire family, grew to become great friends of Jesus. I, I don't know if this was the first time or the hundredth time that Jesus stayed in that home in Bethany, but I imagine perhaps it was the first time. And Jesus strolled in with his crowd and and Martha had heard about what Jesus had has done in other communities, and, and she wanted to see him. She wanted to be a part of that ministry, and so she opens her home to Jesus, and Jesus brings everybody in. Jesus would go on to become great friends with the family and do remarkable things in that very home. We, we read stories about miracles that Jesus performs, and perhaps the greatest miracle that Jesus performed outside of his own resurrection is raising this guy named Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus ends up being Mary and Martha's sister. Jesus makes this huge, our brother, right? You're following along. This huge impact. Jesus makes this huge impact in the life of this family. It would have been for naught, perhaps, if Martha didn't find a way to open her home, to open her life, to open her heart and mind to Jesus. With such a difference that Jesus can make in the life of Martha and Mary and their brother Lazarus, and even in our own lives, why is it that we sometimes struggle to open our lives up to him? Why is it that we sometimes struggle to even be able to see him? Baseball is such a great game. It's played by individual athletes uh, working 
uh, together, performing individual tasks for the benefit of other people on their team. It's like uh, not many other games that I know of. Uh, you know, so many other sports are sort of uh, scripted. Everybody's got to perform in this function and move in this direction in order for the game to be played well, in order for uh, the, the uh, team to execute together properly. Baseball is a little different than that. Everybody reacts individually, but often for the benefit of somebody else on the team. And in fact, if you listen close at a baseball game, you might hear uh, athletes telling one another, hey, pick me up. This might happen when a batter is, is, is hitting and strikes out and he's walking back to the dugout and he says to the next uh, player, hey, pick me up. What he means is, I, you know, that runner on second base, I wasn't able to drive them in. I struck out. I failed. You're going to need to get a hit. You know, the team needs that run. You, you find a way to pick me up. It might be a shortstop hustling in from his position to talk briefly with the pitcher. You see this happen occasionally, huh? And, and maybe once in a while, it's, it's right after the, the shortstop's booted a ground ball. He's failed to make that simple play to get the last out of the inning. Maybe even a run scores, and, and the shortstop says to the pitcher, hey, pick me up. You get this next out. You strike this guy out so we have an opportunity to go back and continue in the game. It might be as simple as uh, an offensive player tossing his helmet towards the dugout and yelling in to no one in particular, pick me up. Just bring me my glove and my hat so I can go play defense. Every single time when a, when a ball player says this, this phrase to another athlete, hey, pick me up, they've just failed. They've fallen short. They, they, didn't, they didn't perform up to standard, and they've, they've, they've missed the mark. They, they, haven't, they haven't succeeded. You know, I, I suppose maybe that's why it reminds me so much of life, because in baseball you fail more than you succeed. And it's really, success in that game is figuring out how do you pick each other up? How do you overcome those small failures that might add up to the loss of the game in the end. I was at one of my son's baseball games, and, and another dad came up to me before the game started, and he said, hey, can I talk to you over here? And I said, sure. And we walked a few steps away from everybody else, and he said, hey, you know this uh, prayer time that the team has before games? And I said, no. He said, well, they have this prayer time before games, and I, I didn't really know anything about it. This was a little bit the first time I was hearing about it. And he said, well, they pray before every game. And, and uh, I said, well, that's, that's pretty cool, I think. And, and, and this dad said, my son didn't go pray the other game. And I said, oh, well, well, how come? He said, well, I asked him about it after the games. I wanted to know why he didn't go pray with the, his teammates. And he said, well, the, the, the son told the dad, why would I go pray with you know, this kid and this kid and this kid, when he's doing that and he's making this choice and he's acting this way. And I don't know what to tell him, this dad said. What do you think I should tell him? Well, I didn't have a great answer for the dad, right? I, I started the conversation by saying, well, your son has a point, doesn't he? I mean, our, our walk really is supposed to match. It's supposed to line up with our talk. That's ideal, right? I said, 
you know, people say the same thing about church in general. You know, how come I should show up at a, at a place like that when, uh, you know, that guy acts like that and she did that? And our walk doesn't always match our talk. And I said, you know, the best thing I can tell him is, is that, you know, kind of the reason that church exists, the reason that we, we pray together and we study together and we worship together is because once in a while uh, we need each other. We have to be there for each other to, to pick them up. When, when you know that guy's making a poor choice, man, that's when you ought to be praying with him. Not because he's done everything right, but because well, we need to help pick him up. Even if it's just uh, understanding that eventually we're going to need picked up too. We're going to need that help. You know, sometimes I, I, this, this, this athlete chose not to go pray with his team, and, and he did so basically because of, of what he saw other folks and, and doing and their relationship with, with God. And sometimes our judgment of others keeps us from seeing Jesus, keeps us from opening ourselves up to Jesus in a relationship with him. Well, Martha had a sister, and her name was Mar Mary. Uh, Jesus shows up at the house of Mary and Martha, and the place fills up. Now, we don't know uh, how many folks started to gather, but we do know that Jesus rarely traveled with a crowd of fewer than 12. Right? He, he shows up with his 12 closest friends everywhere he goes. And just before this, he had sent out 72 disciples to, to minister and to serve and to heal. And so there's, it's likely that there was a larger crowd than that 12 folks traveling with Jesus. And in any event, when Jesus shows up someplace and he kind of puts down roots for even a few minutes, crowds tend to start to gather. Do you remember the buffet of 5,000 people that he feeds to 5,000 people? Do you remember the time when, when Jesus shows up and he starts teaching in a house and preaching in a house and, and the place is so crowded that these friends trying to get their paralyzed buddy to, to meet Jesus, they have to cut a hole in the roof in order to get their buddy to Jesus. The place is so packed. It's so full. There's so many people. Do you remember when Jesus walked into Jerusalem and there were crowds and crowds of people shouting Hosanna and laying palm branches on the road? When Jesus shows up at places, crowds tend to gather. And so we don't know for sure how many folks, how many onlookers had gathered at this home, but we do know that, that people tended to gather when Jesus sits down to teach. And often in those crowds, there would be people of all ages. At that buffet, it was a little boy who brought his lunch to, to feed the 5,000. There, there would be kids, and there would be, there would be women and men, uh, people of all backgrounds, people from all over, with all kinds of different reasons, would come to meet Jesus. But when there's certain language in Scripture, when we read a story that says that, that people sat at Jesus' feet, to hear him teach. That's language that's reserved for a, a rabbi, for this formal discipleship setting. And when someone would sit at the feet of a rabbi, they were sitting there not just to, not just to catch the latest news, not just to be entertained, 
not even simply to be educated. They were sitting there in preparation to teach and serve themselves. If they were entering the military, this was boot camp. If they were going to be a doctor, it was their internship. If they were were an author writing a book, this was the outline. It was preparation for sure, but it was preparation for action. And when a disciple sat at a teacher's feet, that disciple in Jesus' day was always a man. It was exclusively men. And so when Jesus shows up in this house and he begins to teach, And we read in scripture that folks sat at Jesus' feet in preparation to teach and to minister themselves. It would have shocked the crowd of folks. It would have shocked those who knew her best when Mary sat at Jesus' feet. And Jesus allowed it. That he continued to preach and he continued to teach. It would have turned society, societal norms on, on their head. This was, this was a different deal. The fact that Jesus would accept Mary in this role uh, turned the world and its norms on its head. It, we wouldn't have expected folks to say this was okay. Uh, probably there were, there were murmurs in the crowd of, of folks saying, hey, what's going on here? What's he doing? Why is he allowing this? I was in college, and I I had this class that I I needed to take, and so I I registered for the class one semester, and uh, and the the class was was going to be interesting. It was, uh, I was in Bible college, and so it was just an Old Testament class that I had to take, and it was over the book of of Jeremiah, and so we were spending all semester working our way through the book of Jeremiah and studying Jeremiah and and all the things that you do in, in Bible college. The only problem I had with this class was that it was at 7.30 in the morning. I, I don't have any reason. I, I don't know why uh, anybody would schedule a college class at 7.30 in the morning uh, other than to, uh, you know, to irritate people, but they did. And so I needed this class, and I signed up for this class at 7.30 in the morning, and, uh, and I uh, was going through this class, and everything was going pretty okay. It was going fine. I was doing well in the class, actually, so everything seemed really fine to uh, this student. Uh, but I, would, I would, would occasionally, just to be totally honest, not occasionally, I would all the time roll into this class, you know, wearing something that you would only wear to Walmart in a college class at 7.30 in the morning. You know, ball cap low, lowered down because personal hygiene takes a back seat to the, all those things, right? I mean, I'm rolling in this class, and, and the, in fact, there were a couple of other guys who looked at, uh, to be in about the same shape, rolling in at 7.30 in the morning, sitting on the back row of this class, and the professor was having none of it, right? I, I can understand in retrospect, uh, while I, at the time, uh, found nothing at all wrong with this behavior, I can understand in retrospect how this probably didn't present myself as being the most dedicated to my education. And so he was upset with us much of the time. And on one day in particular, we arrive at class and everything 
going on. He says, we're going to do something different today, and, and we're going we're gonna to have some folks come to the front of the class, and we're going to ask them questions about this book we're reading that covered the book of Jeremiah. It was just a, by its author and about that book, and, and I'm going to ask them questions and see how they do. And so these three guys who sat in the back of the class wearing something that they'd only wear to Walmart or to college class at 730 in the morning, including myself, and came up to the, he said, These, this is who I want, and we came up and sat in front of the class, and he spent the rest of the class period just asking us questions. Obviously, with the intent, expecting that we would not know the answers, that we would not be able to answer the questions well, because we obviously didn't care about the class, we weren't trying, all those things. It just so happened that maybe that was the one book I was reading that semester or whatever. You know, that, that's how it goes. And so we were answering those questions fairly well. We were doing a pretty good job. And the more we answered questions well, the more angry that professor became. You know, and we just kept going. We kept answering the questions, and he got angrier and angrier until class ended, and he said, I need to talk to you three guys. And so class leaves, and we're sitting there, and he, he spent the next several minutes telling us how unprepared we appeared to be and how if we continued down that road, how unsuccessful we would be at just anything in life, right? And in retrospect, you know, there's a reason he believed that. You know, it reminded me when I tell my kids often, when somebody tells you you can't do something, like you're unable, you, you can't make this happen, you, you aren't good enough to accomplish this, you don't believe that other person. You know, you come to that conclusion on your own. You make that decision yourself. You don't allow other people's perception of you to decide what you can and can't do. And if we're honest in our spiritual lives, sometimes others' judgment of us keeps us from pursuing and seeing Jesus. We don't really know how many people showed up uh, with Jesus at that house. Let's, let's just say it was the 12. Have you ever prepared a meal for 12 people? I mean, that's some real work involved in that, isn't there? Think Thanksgiving or Christmas or that really special birthday meal. Martha wanted everything to be just so. She was running back and forth, I suppose, from the kitchen to the living room, if we think about it in terms we're familiar with, making sure her guests had what they needed. We've already talked about the crowds and Jesus, and, and I think as Martha scurried back and forth between those two rooms, making sure the, the bread was rising and that there was enough wine to share, that more people started to arrive. And I imagine the more dishes she cleaned, the more time she checked on her guests, the more people that showed up at that house. She, they just kept streaming into the house. And just when she thought there was enough bread, another guest arrived. And just when she thought there was uh, enough uh, of cups, if we use these really good cups we have and we use these cups and everybody can have something to drink, then somebody else came to the house throwing those plans uh, awry and, and making them miss. 
somebody else knocked on the door just when she thought she had it settled, asking, is it true? Is Jesus here? And Martha's response was always the same. Uh, yeah, he is. Are you planning to stay for dinner? Martha was just distracted, and rightly so, I suppose, by all she had to do. It was a summer after maybe my freshman year in college, and I was working a, a job at a card factory where my dad worked uh, while I was growing up, and and uh, and so I was working there, and and uh, did a had another job that I worked in the evening sometimes, and, and uh, this one stretch in that summer, there was some uh, overtime on, on the third shift at this card factory. And so I went in in the middle of the night and worked half a shift on, on third shift and then stayed for, for the day shift, and it was a great deal for a college student. I mean, the, the paychecks really added up. It was a fantastic deal. But I then went after that day shift to my evening job and so for a period of of several weeks you know that was the schedule that I kept and I remember a sort of towards the end of this this schedule coming home from that that day shift at the card factory and I was worn out and I was tired and I had to head right away back out I had to grab my bag with my uniform and head back out to this this other job I had and I, I grabbed my stuff and I was heading out the door and my mom had the nerve to ask me this question as I headed back out the door to this uh, next job and this next place I had to be, my mom had the nerve to ask me, Lance, do you want a sandwich? You know, you just came home, you haven't eaten, do you want a sandwich? And I remember slamming the door, the screen door, right, on the front porch, kind of slamming that door and snapping at my mother, no, I don't want a sandwich, which, come on. I mean, let's be honest, I always want a sandwich, right? First of all, I mean, that was, just wasn't true. But secondly, as I took three or four or, we're all honest here, like 17 steps away from the house, maybe it took until I realized you're probably not going to survive very long if you treat people, especially your mother, like that, right? I mean, she was just looking out for you. She was just trying to love you and care for you and you kind of bit her head off for no reason just because you were tired and and so eventually I had to make my way back into the kitchen and say mom I'm sorry I I shouted and I really would like a sandwich if you have one. You, you know all those things right that mothers uh, forgive and accept and make their way sometimes sometimes our busyness busyness causes us to miss all kinds of relationships but Sometimes e our busyness even causes us to miss Jesus. Finally, though, it was more than Martha could take. Right? She, had, she had worked and worked and worked, and no one seemed to be willing to tell people there was no more room. No one seemed to be willing to help with the dishes. Now, the guests and the work just kept piling up all around her, and finally Martha had it. She would, she would get the direction and the opinion of, of the only one in that room that really mattered. And I imagine Martha walking up and seeing a plate kind of left uh, on the ground that she had to clean and she picked it up and it just so happened that it was lying right between Jesus and her sister Mary and Martha just lost it. 
She said, Lord, don't you care that my sister's left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. I mean, she has a point, doesn't she? The lamb wasn't going to cook itself. The wine wouldn't pour itself. She'd been working so hard to make the day just so. Didn't anyone, didn't Jesus even care? My daughter Lacey, she, she loves to play all kinds of sports. She played basketball this last year at high school, and the season didn't go the way she wanted it to go for her personally. She had a really hard time. She struggled. She would even uh, come home some nights crying. She was crying about the way it was going for her performance. She cried about the way she, she felt like the coach mistreated her. And on, on several occasions, and still, you know, she's trying to decide. She would ask, Dad, should I play basketball next year? And I said, honey, you, you know, I can give you my opinion, but it's not really going to matter that much. I mean, I don't have to go to those practices. Right? I don't have to go to those games. You've got to decide. You've got to decide and, and know that nothing might change. It might be exactly the same way next season. You've got to decide if, if, if it's enough fun, if, if you want to try this, if, if it's a big enough goal for you to play, to kind of accept the criticism and to accept the hardships or whatever, however you want to phrase that, the, the difficulty she has with uh, this coach. She's got to decide if she, she can choose a good enough attitude to be a great teammate on that team. And sometimes it's our attitude that keeps us from seeing Jesus. So when Martha just finally breaks down, how does Jesus respond to this seemingly appropriate uproar? Look at Luke chapter 10, verses 41 and 42. Jesus says, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Verse 41 makes so much sense to us, doesn't it? Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. I mean, we understand that. We, it's so easy for us to be worried and upset about all kinds of different things, that impending move, the career change our kids' graduation, maybe our youngest is starting kindergarten. We're not sure how that's going to go. The last test we took, the new job that requires so much more travel and so much more time away from the family, the list of things that we can be or are worried and upset about is easy to make. But what about that one thing that Jesus talks about in verse 42? What's that one thing that Mary chose that shouldn't ever be taken away? That one thing is to connect with Jesus. In fact, it's the one thing that allows us to navigate those worries and those concerns and those, those things that trouble us and even distract us from our relationship with Jesus. It's the one thing that makes it possible for us to experience peace in a world that's filled with chaos. 
that connecting with Jesus. It begins by saying yes to him for the first time, by turning our lives over to him, by, by uh, admitting that there's a God and we're not him, that every one of us misses the mark, that we fall short of his glory, of, of his standards, and that every one of us is in desperate need of a savior. When Jesus, when, when Peter preached this sermon about Jesus in Acts chapter 2, said that he died on a cross for you, and he rose from the dead for you. People asked, what should we do? And he said, repent and be baptized. Say yes to him through baptism for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this double cure to our double trouble, this forgiveness of sins and the newness of life, as the Holy Spirit moves in and makes us new. It's when we say yes to Him and we begin this relationship with Him that we can connect with Him for the rest of our lives, for all of eternity. It allows us to handle those worries and those anxieties that fill our lives. Uh, we can give you, I, I can give you hints to handling that worry, to name it, to admit that you're worried to do something fun, to pray about it, to talk to a friend about it, to spend time in God's word, but it begins with that connection uh, and a relationship with him. We can, we can slow down and we can rest. We can, we can sleep more and make sure we're, we have healthy sleep habits. We can take the vacation that's offered to us at work. We can disconnect a little bit from this, this life that's always totally connected to somebody else through uh, technology. We can slow down and focus on him. You know, those things will help us to, to get healthy spiritually along with a, a daily time of worship, spending time in his word, staying committed to worship with other believers, being part of a group, serving others with others. That one thing that Mary understood as Martha scurried around, is that we have to begin and stay connected with Jesus. We need to open our lives, open our homes, open our hearts to that idea. And in college, I lived, the last two years of college, I lived in this basement apartment, and we called it the pit because it was a basement and it was a pit. It was it was terrible. They've since knocked it down, and, and that's a good thing, and the world rejoices. It was a scary place. I mean, it, it, in retrospect, it was a little scary. Uh, you know, for instance, the shower had a hole in, in the shower and the s ceiling or the floor of the apartment above us you know, that you could look into and visit with other people as you took a shower. It was it, it was not a place that I would want my children to, to live, and it was truly a pit. But the thing I, one of the things I remember most about that apartment, that basement apartment, is that the door was literally never locked. Why would you? I mean, you have to be sort of foolish to come in. The door was never locked. And most of the time, nobody who came into that apartment, whether they were paying rent or not, ever knocked on that door. That door was always open. It was always open. Anybody could come in. You know, there's something beautiful about a door that's always open. There's something awesome about a heart that's open to seeing Jesus. There's something amazing 
about a mind that's searching for that one thing. We can stay connected to Jesus.